It's a simple recipe, but it would mean so much to me. Turn on the gas and make me feel fine. And all I wanna say is, just give me some hot pizza. Folks, Steve Siddall here with another episode of Financial Pizza. It's the only podcast that features clips and more from some of the best financial radio programs and podcasts heard around the country every week. And this is all brought to you hot, fresh, and in 30 minutes or less. This week, doing things a little differently, we're going to hear from Coach Pete DeRuda. He's got a conversation with best-selling author, motivational speaker, and movie producer Jim Stovall. It's pretty interesting. We'll also take a trip back to 1929 with Dave Perkins. Gary Nolan has a financial failure story, and it might surprise you who it is, and I've got a broker behaving badly. All right, let's get right to it. We join America's Wealth Coach and best-selling author Coach Pete DeRuda and his interview with Jim Stovall. Well, folks, this is the time of the show where I like to go out around the world and find someone who is a difference maker, who uh, has touched my life in, in different ways. And we've got a return visitor on, on my show. I saw him speak in front of one of my groups about 12 years ago. A, a group full of financial advisors were fascinated by his story. His name is Mr. Jim Stovall, and he's enjoyed success as an author, athlete, investment banker, or broker, and entrepreneur while dealing with the challenge of blindness. Yes, folks, during his remarkable life, Jim has been a national champion Olympic weightlifter as well as author of over 30 books. In addition to his personal accomplishments, Jim was honored as the 2000 International Humanitarian of the Year, amongst many other things. Let's welcome in Mr. Jim Stovall. Jim, welcome in. Great to be back with you, Coach Pete. <laughs> well, I, one of your books crossed my desk the other day, and it's called Dear Napoleon, The Living Legacy of Napoleon Hill and Think and Grow Rich Book. And that's over 100 years old now, isn't it? That that original book, not your book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, uh, Napoleon Hill was born in the 1800s, uh, wrote this book in the early 1900s, and uh, you know, now is impacting people still in the new millennium. And his work uh, is, that is the best-selling book in the field of uh, success or personal development. And, you know, everyone listening to us now, if they haven't been impacted directly by that book, they have been impacted by somebody who was impacted by that book, I can assure you. Yeah, well, it makes a, I mean, we, this book is 74 chapters because you've interviewed or you had people write a chapter in the book, each one, about how this, the, the original book, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, has affected their lives. And I figured we would talk about a few of the success stories or a few of the chapters here. And then uh, if the listener is interested, we'll show them how they can get a copy of that book on Amazon or, or anywhere books are sold. Yeah, it's great, you know, and I, you know, I wanted to, I mean, I could sit around and give my opinion of the impact of his work, but uh, it's a little like looking out the window. You can't see the wind, nobody can see the wind, but you can see what it does. It it moves the trees, the leaves, the things out there, and, and that's where I wanted to, people to see the impact of Napoleon Hill, so uh, they could kind of tap into that well. Let's talk about the original book, uh, Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. What, when did you first read it, and what has it meant to you? I read the book. Uh, I was losing my sight, and uh, I was a college student, and I realized I was not going to get a normal job. Nobody wanted to hire this uh, 
Olympic weightlifting champion blind guy. Uh, so I decided I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know anything about it, but I thought if I owned a company, uh, you know, they couldn't fire me. So uh, I remember going to tell my father I'm not going to get a job, which really thrills parents when you're there in college. <laughs> and uh, But he said, I don't know anything about that, but I'll introduce you to a guy. And he introduced me to a guy he knew that uh, uh, Mr. Lee Braxton had uh, third-grade education, made $10 million during the Great Depression, gave most of it away, and lived the rest of his life off of his investments. And he he worked for a dollar a year for various nonprofits, and that was his life. And I met this man, and he said, before we even start, he said, you got to read this book. This book is the basis of all we're going to talk about. And I read it and came back, and he asked me a question, and he didn't like my answer. He said, go read it again. Well, it turns out Petey made me read this thing three times before he would even sit and talk to me, and that became the basis of our work. And then what was interesting is uh, uh, a number of years later, after I became successful, I wrote a book called The Millionaire Map, and the head of the Napoleon Hill Foundation called me, and they said, did you realize that your mentor, Lee Braxton, was Napoleon Hill's best friend? He he gave the eulogy at Hill's funeral, of all things, and uh, I had no idea of the relationship they have. But what makes this book unique, Think and Grow Rich, is the fact that um, it's not one man's theory. It's not anything. Uh, Napoleon Hill was a young newspaper reporter. Uh, he had uh, reported on the Wright brothers flying their first flight and other things, and he was assigned to go – interview Andrew Carnegie of U.S. Steel, probably the richest man of his era, and he asked him, how do you become rich? How do you become successful? And Carnegie said, no one has really quantified that, but if you'll dedicate the next 20 years of your life, you will be the one that reveals that. And Hill took the challenge, and Carnegie introduced Napoleon Hill to people like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison and Helen Keller and 500 of the most successful people of that era. And out of those 500 interviews came the science of success and think and grow rich. So it's not a theory. It's an actual, this is how people actually did this. And uh, and it's, a, it's, a, it's just a great tribute to him. And that's what I wanted to do in this book. And folks, we're talking to Jim Stovall. He's uh, one of the authors of his book here. He's got a collection of people that wrote about their positive influence uh, by reading that book, Napoleon Hill's Thank You, Grow Rich. We're talking to Jim Stovall. Jim, is having money the ultimate, I guess, indicator of success? No, no. Living the life you want to live is the ultimate success, and that includes living your life, helping other people live their life, giving, creating, and, uh, you know, fulfilling your destiny. Now, money is a key component of that. You know, I, I, I mean, I don't think there is any success without the financial resources. It's like, you know, there is no success without oxygen. You know, you and I don't think about oxygen, but if you cut it off in the next uh, 60 to 90 seconds, that's going to be really critical to us. Well, the same thing with money. Uh, you know, it it is it's like if you and I were going to go on a vacation somewhere. Uh, the the key to our vacation is not gasoline in the tank, but we're not going anywhere unless we have some, and that's that's what money is. Money is not the end; money's the tool. It's a good point. I, I remember growing up. Uh, I used to visit my grandparents up in New England. I, I I had no idea about money back then. I was like eight years old, seven years old, and uh, the the neighbors had some children about my and my brother's ages. So when we got up there. We tried to hang with them, but every now and then their parents would take them to this fancy amusement park. And I remember sulking and poking my whip out and telling my grandpa wife wasn't fair. And he said, Peter, 
why uh, money isn't everything. And I still remember that. And because we had, my, and my, looking back at it now, my grandparents were poor. My grandfather was a carpenter. He built the house they lived in. And basically, he was the water commissioner of the town. And, and they didn't pay anything either, but he did it to, supply, to support the community and make friends. But the, he, him and my uh, grandmother had a very happy life, but they didn't have much money. And so looking back at it now, it really did prove that theory that money isn't everything. No, money isn't everything, but nothing will take the place of money in the things that money does. Yes. And uh, oxygen isn't everything, but it's critical to us as we live and move and have our being and do the things we do. And, uh, you know, but I believe everybody, if there's a dream, a calling, a desire you have in your heart, uh, the resources are there. I mean, uh, the key to money is uh, is knowledge. It's information. That's why uh, Napoleon Hill's book was Think and Grow Rich. Yep. Uh, you know, the whole thing is just getting the information and learning what you learn. Money is not a cause. It's a result. It's the result of learning things you learn. If you took all the money in the world and divided it up evenly, uh, within a few years it'd be back where it is today. Because <laughs> rich people are, are not rich because they have money. They're rich because they have information. You're right. I mean, that's that's a great point right there. I mean, and the I think it was the the Vanderbilts who found like the Biltmore House and all that. I, I, but there was a story about the, the the original Vanderbilt guy was really rich. He built. I think it mm-hmm. had something to do with the railroads. Uh, yeah, Commodore Vanderbilt. Yeah. yeah, and he left money to his kids and grandkids when he passed away, and most of them blew it. A couple of his kids kids became successful. But most of them are in poverty. And so that just right. shows you how fast you can blow money if you don't do the right thing. And anybody who tells me that money isn't everything, I always say, well, I'd like to, I'd like to try that side with a bunch of money and see how, see how I feel, see how happy it makes me. But it's not the, it shouldn't be the ultimate goal, but it does help you reach all the goals you want to get to. Is that correct? Absolutely. And, folks, uh, Jim knows a little bit about money, by the way. And, and if his name sounds familiar, if you've listened to the show at all over the last 17 years, I wrote a book. Uh, five years ago now, called Seven Baby Steps to a Ridiculously Reliable Retirement Income. And Jim wrote the foreword for this book, and I read it all the time. And, Jim, you gave me a really good foreword there. I, I don't think I deserved all that, the good stuff you said. <laughs> oh, I believe you did. I didn't write it for any reason other than it was true. <laughs> so we'll give a copy of that book away, my book, uh, in, uh, right after the segment, so you can read Jim's uh, foreword. And then the, the book we're talking about right now, though, fascinating book, Dear Napoleon, available everywhere books are sold. Jim, the people that you interviewed for this book or that wrote, wrote chapters in here, are there any chapters that stick out in your head as fascinating? Well, I, you know, obviously uh, one of the blessings I got after I got connected with the Napoleon Hill Foundation and found out that my mentor had been best friends with Napoleon Hill, they sent me a huge file of letters that uh, Napoleon Hill and Lee Braxton had sent back and forth in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. And out of those letters, uh, I took things that Lee Braxton had said to Napoleon Hill, and I crafted his letter for him. So his is the only letter that someone really didn't write to Napoleon Hill, and uh, I crafted that for him. But there are some amazing people there. Mo Anderson, she is uh, uh, a billionaire and one of the the, the uh, forces behind Keller Williams Realty, the largest real estate company in the world, and, and, and then just so many other people that are in there from every walk of life. I mean, there are billionaires, there are athletes, there are grade school teachers, there are just people sharing how this message helped them to become who they wanted to become. And, you know, when Hill wrote Think and Grow Rich, he said, it's not just about money. You can be rich in experience, rich in joy, rich in happiness, rich in your family. And so 
it's people who have achieved each of those things that I think is is what makes uh, these individuals powerful. Now, Thomas, how old are you? 35? 36 now. 36. I yep. always mess, mess that up. You, know, <laughs> you were 29 when you started with me. But, uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but do you remember the book? Do, have you ever read the book, Think and Grow Rich? Probably, and don't feel I, bad if you haven't. No, I haven't. No. Yeah. It's it's over 100 years old. You had to blow the dust off it. No, just joking. It, it, ma- it makes me want to read it after it's this conversation. It's a really yeah. good book. See, Jim, a lot of the folks here that are listening and that are younger than you and I, and I'm 55, Jim, you're about my age, I think. You're not that much older than Six, me. Uh, 63 this 63. week. Oh, well, happy, happy birthday, not belated, because it's right now. So happy birthday coming up. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, but a lot of folks in Thomas's age group have never heard of this book. But then some mm-hmm. have. And Thomas, maybe there's some, you're, I mean, you're a successful guy. You could be more successful if you read the book. Probably. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, it, but anyway, the fascinating book, folks, the name of it is Dear Napoleon, and it's 74 chapters. Each chapter, a person writing a letter to Napoleon Hill telling him how much they benefited for and enjoyed the book and and there's some really good stories in here and you can learn a lot from each one of these chapters jim yeah absolutely it's designed to give the message of the book but more importantly to have people uh you know really get curious enough to go to the well themselves and uh, because i can assure you you have read uh, napoleon hill's philosophy even if you haven't read his book because uh, everybody that does what I do, and I've written over 50 books now, everybody that does that, we all stand on the shoulders of Napoleon Hill, and it's a magnificent piece of work, so I would recommend it to anyone. Well, folks, again, the name of the book, Dear Napoleon, get it anywhere books are sold. A fascinating guy for sure. You can learn more about Jim Stovall on his website, jimstovall.com. That's Jim, J-I-M-S-T-O-V-A-L-L.com. Pizza! Now let's join Dave Perkins for a trip back in time to 1929. Through the years, let's take a trip back in time. Back in time. 1929. The party's still going. The Roaring Twenties. But that year we went from, hey, let's do the Charleston, to... Brother, can't you spare the time? The U.S. experienced an economic boom during the 20s, but then the market started fluctuating. The stock exchange is a funny place. The beginning of the Wall Street crash. The bubble burst October 24th, Black Thursday. A 22.6% drop in one day. October 29th was Black Tuesday with another 12.8% drop. The market hit bottom November 23rd. It was the beginning of the Great Depression. No love in Chicago that year. It was the year of the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, February 14th. Seven of Al Capone's rival gangsters, Bugs Moran's gang, were murdered. You ought to be in the first Academy Awards were presented that year. It was a 15-minute ceremony hosted by actor Douglas Fairbanks. And the award for Outstanding Picture, the winner is... The Silent Movie Wings! Let's listen to a little clip from that award-winning silent movie. Ah, yes, what a great movie. The first car radio was made by Motorola that year. Turn it on and you may hear... Time to 23 skidoo, but first, here's a swell song from Eddie Cantor. This next song is the Cat's Meow, Ain't Misbehavin', Fats Waller. No Social Security yet, but a variety of American industries were promising some sort of support for their workers in their later years. Most of the pensions kicked in at 65. Life expectancy for American men was around 58. 
Pensions are almost gone. We're living longer. Let's get back and get a real retirement plan. We've now arrived safely back in the present. We hope you enjoyed your trip. Here's to a smooth ride into retirement. I especially enjoyed the silent movie clip, huh? <laughs> Memorable stuff for sure. Thanks, Dave. Time now for this week's Broker Behaving Badly. The Financial Safari News Network presents Brokers Behaving Badly. For this broker behaving badly, we head to Weston, Florida, where German Nino was registered with UBS, where he worked from 2014 through 2020. The SEC says during that time he took millions of dollars from one client. He must have fancied himself a ladies' man because he allegedly used the money to pay for his many girlfriends' expenses. A complaint filed by the U.S. District Court shows Nino allegedly told a long-standing client, a couple who had invested $11 million with UBS through Nino, he told them he was investing the funds in securities. The SEC reports that Nino allegedly made unauthorized wire transfers out of the client's account, then used the money on gifts, travel, and living expenses for women with whom he had romantic relationships. He also covered his personal expenses, including luxury cars and an apartment in Columbia, because we all need one of those. In all, the SEC says he stole around $5.8 million from that one client. To keep it going, he made bogus account statements purporting to show the client's account balance and investment portfolio, manipulated UBS records to keep the client from getting notices about wire transfers, and he forged the client's signature more than once. It was the client's son that discovered the theft and confronted Nino, but Nino confessed to the son. He promised to repay the client from, get this, a signing bonus that he'd get from joining another firm. The SEC is seeking a permanent injunction, disgorgement of the allegedly ill-gotten gains with interest and civil penalties. Oh, by the way, since he resigned in February 2020, he didn't ever get that big bonus because he never got another job. Just one more reason to make sure you are dealing with a true fiduciary and use broker check for confirmation. We've got one more segment and for it we join Gary Nolan in a story of financial failure. Pizza! Welcome to Financial Failures. It's like a car wreck. You know you shouldn't look, but you can't help yourself. I lived in New York or Philadelphia in the 80s and 90s and were a baseball fan. You knew the name Lenny Dykstra, especially in the 1993 World Series. And he hits one deep to right. Forget about it. Way out of here. What a night for Lenny Dykstra, his second home run. When he retired, he was living the good life. He signed autographs, shook hands, played golf, and banked the profits from his car wash business. We had him on the payroll for $1 million a year, said Kevin Dykstra, Lenny's younger brother who managed a string of car washes for him in the L.A. area. Known as Nails during his flamboyant 12-year career with the Mets and the Phillies for playing with abandon, running into walls, and throwing out base runners. Boston tagging Dykstra. Strong throw out of third base. A life once brimming with unbridled energy and flush with cash, had ground to a bankrupt halt. Dykstra's wife of 23 years, the mother of his three sons, divorced him. His mother and brother were estranged from him as well. During his 11-year career, Lenny Dykstra assumed a mass fortune of $58 million. However, for some people, money can't buy happiness, as Lenny's behavior after his 1998 retirement shows. The three-time All-Star player became addicted to drugs and was imprisoned several times for charges of grand theft auto, drug possession, and indecent exposure. 
the, the perfect storm came. My partner for my magazine, AIG, they went bankrupt. See, I put myself in position for that to happen. If I wouldn't, you know, if I didn't want more, 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 it was all about, I was like, like money became my drug. It wasn't, and just wanting, never being satisfied. It'd get in one thing, throw it in with the rest, go on to the next thing. In 2009, he filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Dykster was reportedly in debt to the tune of $31 million. He was forced to sell all his possessions, his house was foreclosed on, his reputation was ruined, and he never recovered from his losses. Why did that happen? Because I was living too close to the edge. In short, Dykstra had a habit of making poor life choices. Don't let that happen to you. Get on the right path to financial freedom and be listening for more sad failure stories. Yeah, that's quite a story it is. I heard him interviewed with Howard Stern. He can certainly tell quite a tale. So that's it. Episode 138 of Financial Pizza is complete. Financial Pizza features clips and more from some of the best financial radio programs heard around the country each and every week, and it's all brought to you hot, fresh, and in 30 minutes or less. If you'd like Financial Pizza delivered to you each and every week, subscribe to it, and it will be in your podcast collection automatically. Find it on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or anywhere you get a podcast. As long as you're subscribing, be sure and rate and share the podcast. We've got lots of pizza to go around. And we'll get back to a regular assortment of advisors next week on the podcast. Meanwhile, you can reach me, email steve at financialpizza.com or on Twitter at Steve Siddall. I want to thank Dave Perkins and Gary Nolan for providing content for today's show. Financial Pizza is produced and written by me, Steve Siddall. It originates from the studios of broadcasting experts in Apex, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, everybody. Really do appreciate it. Going to be back next week with another episode of Financial Pizza. I'm Steve Siddall. Pizza. Coach P Radio. Information provided is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Peter J. Deruta or his guests are liable for the usage of information discussed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Annuity guarantees are based solely on the financial strength and claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Individuals should thoroughly review the contract for specific details of the product features and costs. Income payments and withdrawals from deferred annuities are generally taxable as ordinary income in the year they are taken. Money management is provided by Equus Capital Management. Equus is an SEC-registered investment advisor located in San Rafael, California. Investment advice by Capital Financial Advisory Group, LLC, a North Carolina-registered investment advisor. Insurance advice given by Capital Financial and Insurance, a North Carolina-licensed insurance agency.